Caroline thought she was the observer, but from the moment she arrived at the creek that morning, the boy was looking for her. Every menial task he was given, he would steer toward the creek so he could scan the edges of the bushes, the centers of mesquite and thick boughs of the cedars that grew below the live oak branches where birds dropped their sour and blueberries. The wind had picked up and rain was likely, so the carpenters were eager to finish the roof by lunch. They had the boys stay on the ground and hand them up corrugated metal sheets brought at the metal yard in Austin. The metal roofing cost a premium because it could not be made anymore. That didn't seem to matter to their customer. When this man had found them in Austin and described the job, they said he should hire local workers and that it would cost too much for them to travel with that much bastard pine and stay that long. The man was insistent. And in response, they quoted a high price. He put 50% down and said he expected to see them in a month. From her vantage point, Caroline could see the three boys on the ground and the three carpenters on the roof. She saw that the larger boy kept asking the carpenter something from halfway up the ladder as he handed them sheets of roofing. One by one, they each rejected him, shaking their head or waving an extended hand at him. Caroline could not know. He was asking to come up on the roof to see how they were fastening the metal. But she did see that after each rejection, he turned to the creek, using the midway height of the ladder. He was looking for something. Maybe her, she thought. So she would simply need to keep track of all of them, and especially him. After lunch, when her adopted uncle arrived, she could see how happy he was with the progress and the promise of getting back into the rhythm of his life. The ice house was the center of his world, and his easy smile made everyone feel welcome. His children had grown up in the yard under the trees, and he was devastated when the fire happened. It was only when the wood arrived that the colonel sent word that he would pay for a full rebuilding, that he could compose himself. And now he was joyful, slapping the carpenters on the back and offering to help lift the framed walls into place. With that help, the framing of the back wall and one side wall went up so quickly the carpenters were able to start nailing. The sun was hanging on the edge of the horizon in the west, and Caroline knew she would need 20 minutes to get home before dark. Putting her pencil and book in her side pouch, she realized it had been too long since she counted the men and boys. The new walls made it difficult as the carpenters and the boys and her uncle would be on her side of the walls and then disappear behind them temporarily. She saw three carpenters, her uncle, one of the boys, and then another. She scanned the field in which the ice house sat, but could not see the older, larger boy. She heard a twig snap behind her, and then in an instant, felt a sharp pain on the back of her head, and everything closed in. As he took the high road out of town, the sheriff looked into the setting sun and planned to circle back on the new rider who was following him at the turn ahead. The rider was a hundred yards back, so the sheriff nudged his horse when the turn came in sight to gain 20, maybe 30 yards, and then kicked her hard when he had covered that distance. 
If he could put a hundred yards between them, he could make the turn and the hill and then double back onto the road behind the rider. The rider was caught off guard and the sheriff made the turn, then up and down the hill without breaking his or the horse's neck. The rider lost sight of him but heard the hooves hit the road behind him and turned, kicking his horse. He made the turn at the foot of the hill to see the sheriff waiting for him, pointing the 308 at his chest. The 308 had an old Leopold scope on it, which the sheriff had adjusted for the 50 yards between him and the edge of the turn. The rider was now clear in the crosshairs, and he knew it. Hands off the horse in the air, the sheriff yelled. Come in easy. The rider was smiling in the glass of the scope. He had been duped. He knew the 180 grains of lead coming from the 308 would blow a three-inch hole out its back, but he was still smiling in the glass. He put his hands up and nudged the bay beneath him with his knees. When he was 10 yards out, the sheriff reached to his side and pulled the colt, brought it up level next to the rifle, and then dropped the rifle, switching to the iron sights of the revolver. What's so funny? Ah, nothing, the colonel's man said. You got me. Is it just me, or is he coming for my family too? Probably depends. On what? On your next decision? Whether I kill you? The writer smiled wide again and replied honestly, No, you could probably kill me right now and he'd let you live until the card game. I meant whether you were going to run or show up. You believe all that? I do. The sheriff squeezed the textured trigger, knowing exactly where it would end. The load hit the rider in the chest, knocking him backward and off the bay, which reared in shock and bolted in a cloud of dust, riderless. Caroline felt the rough dirt and limestone rocks on her back before she opened her eyes. And then she did, and she saw him and felt his grip around her ankle. He was dragging her deeper into the woods. The largest of the boys had used Caroline's uncle as a distraction. While the carpenters were taking in her uncle's compliments, as the sun was setting, the boy had snuck down to the creek and right up to where he had seen her, where she had sat all of that day. He got close before he misstepped on a branch and knew she had hurt him. He lunged at her and hit her hard in the back of the head with the heel of his palm. As he dragged her deeper into the trees, he did not know that she had opened her eyes or that she was dragging her nails in the dirt, raking for a loose chunk of limestone. He did not suspect that such a little girl could do anything to him now. He found a clearing and dropped her ankle and turned around, unsure of what would come next. He sat down on top of Caroline's chest and pushed her head one way and then the other with his right hand. He hadn't thought to kneel on her arms or to wonder why her hands were both overturned. And when her eyes shot open and she spat in his face, he looked stupid to her. And then stunned, when the rock in her right hand hit his left temple hard and then bloodied when the rock in her left hand landed on his jaw, and then each again until he fell to one side, and Caroline was on her feet above him. 
He tried to crawl, but she hit him hard again with each rock on the back of his head, and his jaw locked and his drool puddled in the dirt. As he lay unconscious, Caroline turned over his right hand, which had pushed her face. She found a much larger rock. She pulled his shirt up and stuffed it in his mouth to muffle his pain. She held the large rock high above her head and slammed it down on his right hand with everything she had. The wave of pain shot the boy back to consciousness. He moaned as he rolled in the dirt and winced and cried. And when he opened his eyes, he saw Caroline walking away. The heel of the colonel's boot landed heavy on the new floor of the ice house. He stepped in fully and stomped twice, just as strongly as if he were knocking on a door. The carpenters were working on the finish of the inside of the ice house, and as soon as they saw him, they suspected he was the man paying their wages. They stopped tacking the trim and whitewashing boards. The boys stopped sweeping and picking up. Colonel? Sometimes you didn't know if Charlie was saying something or asking a question. Of course it's me, Charlie, he replied. I come to check on my purchase, and he stomped his boot again. Sounds solid. Looks pretty. Three men waited on the side porch while the colonel raised his arms and smiled widely. Charlie? Colonel? This time it was definitely a question, a nervous question and the sound of it made the carpenters nervous and the boys scared. Do you have any more of that good whiskey? Yes, sir, Charlie was happy to be able to say. Yes, sir, for you, sir. Well, get it out, the colonel said as he walked to the corner of the room. We might need it. He traced his fingers on the trim of the window, which had been carefully tracked by one of the carpenters, cleaned less carefully by one of the young boys, recleaned, and then whitewashed by another of the carpenters. As the colonel looked closely at the join of the trim, one of the carpenters leaned backward to look down the long building and out the porch. He saw the well-maintained ARs slung over the shoulders and glocks holstered on their hips. The colonel saw him shift and smiled, knowing what he was doing. He touched the trim once more and then moved along the wall seeming to inspect every board from the front of the building to the back where the sunlight struggled to reach at that time of day. The older boy was in the back corner of the ice house and had been sweeping with his back to the colonel and his head hung low. The colonel had noticed that the boy didn't turn fully when he entered the building and that he was wearing a cap inside, but only as he got closer did he see that the cap was concealing a blood-stained bandage across his head and that one of his hands had been splinted and wrapped in rags. As he approached, the boy cowered and looked up as if he were hiding and peeking up through a hole. You got your ass kicked, boy. Yes, sir. You look worse? Yes, sir. Well, the colonel said, resting into his thought, that's a lie. He chuckled to himself, not at the boy, but at his own words. It was funny, he thought. He always knew when someone was lying, until recently, that was. 
Well, that's going to all work out, he told himself. There are many things in this world that'll make you bleed, he said to the boy. And then he turned and opened his arms up to the room of men and gestured to the glasses of whiskey on the bar. And you can choose to focus on the pain, or you can have fun with it. No one moved or knew what to say, and the boy was happy the attention was off of him. Holding their gaze, the colonel sauntered to the bar and raised one of the glasses. Three more for the boys on the porch, he said, as if he were a barker at a carnival. Come on, working men, let's toast to the new and improved Albert Ice House. The men raised and then drained their shot glasses. And to that game we've been putting off, 